a cutting edge. Well, turn in your Bible to the book of James. We're going to continue talking uh, and teaching through James for at least the end of the month. Uh, and uh, we're, we're going to begin tonight in, oh, the bottom part of chapter 3, uh, so you can get there. I'm going to give you a, a little uh, uh, warm-up or a little review of where we've been. Let me just say as I begin, I want to confirm something to you. If you have your Bible, I want you to hold it up. If, you're, if you have your Bible in an iPad, yeah, that's good enough. Hold it up. This Bible you're holding up is God's inspired Word. Every bit of it is true. Everybody say, it's all true. It's God's love letter to me. Say, it's God's instruction book for living. I'm telling you, this is the Word of God. It'll make a difference in your life. And so we've got to, we've got to build a lifestyle, if you will, of embracing, incorporating, applying, following after the Word of God in our life. And I want to encourage you to realize that, that uh, in reality, Sunday and Wednesday, though every pastor would, would just be ecstatic if, if uh, a majority of their people were faithful on Sundays and Wednesdays. But could I tell you, your faithful attendance on Sundays and Wednesdays and your application and your hearing and your responding to the messages that you hear on Sundays and Wednesdays is not enough for you. You need to study to show yourself approved unto God and be a reader of the Word of God and, and be, a, a, be a, a meditator. David said, I meditate on the law of the Lord. And in His law do I meditate day and night, not just Sunday and Wednesday. So I want to I imprint upon you, if I can, uh, you know, and, and let me do 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, uh, 18, 19, 19 folks, 20 counting me. If, if, if I get 20 folks uh, connected to the Word of God and begin to grow, how many of you know growing people grow people? In fact, this summer, we've got a, a strong effort, and you're going to hear more and more about it, a, a strong effort to uh, kickstart people in their spiritual growth. Uh, we're calling it uh, uh, Summer Family Fitness, Churchwide Family Fitness, and we're going we're gonna to do some things on Sunday morning. I want you to get ready, especially on June 8th, for an eight-week uh, opportunity of Sunday morning classes. We've got a... a, a Kobe's going to be going through our... Connect class, uh, which is uh, indicative to us. If you've never been through Connect, uh, the four modules are connecting to God, connecting to your church, connecting to your mission, I think, and, and, uh, and Connect, uh, I can't remember the third one's title, but there's four modules and they're, they're just really strong foundational truths, teach you about Bible study and prayer and giving and all those things. So if you've never been through that, uh, we want you to just plug in June 8th. We also have a Marriage on the Rock uh, video uh, slash uh, small group session. Uh, Aaron and Misty, along with Jim and Trish and possibly another couple are going to facilitate that. I think that's if you're a if, if you would like to strengthen your marriages, uh, this is great material. If you ever watch Jimmy Evans on Marriage Today, great material. Uh, and so they'll be going through that. And then we just signed on uh, Michelle uh, Chadwick. She's not able to be here tonight. 
but a great series that I'm excited about. For, for those who don't fit in the marriage category or the connect category, it's a series called uh, Christian. Uh, it's not what you think. And uh, I'm pretty jazzed about it. Uh, I saw some of the material. Uh, and uh, so it'll help people get a handle on who they are as a Christian and what it means to be a Christian. Uh, it's not foundational. I think it's revolutionary because you ask any given person what it means to be a Christian and you'll get a hundred different answers. How many of you know we need to get that cleared up? I said, how many of you know we need to get that cleared up? And then also on Sunday morning, June 8th, when we begin, uh, we're, we're going to have uh, what we call uh, youth workouts. Uh, and that's a, a, a classy way of saying youth Sunday school format. And so, so we have that for our, our, our young people and then all the Sunday school uh, slash kids workouts uh, because it's, it's family fitness. Everybody pump a little iron with me. Come on, pump a little iron. We're going to get in shape spiritually. Uh, and, so, and so I said all that to say it all begins on a kickoff Sunday on June 1st. Everybody say June 1st. If, if it all works out, we're going to have church outside. I've got a big tent. And we're going to have uh, jump, uh, bouncy things for after. We're going to have a meal. We're going to have fun. Uh, it's, and it'll be kind of a, a fun day, and we'll introduce all the stuff that's going to kick off the next week. So just a good way to kick off the summer. I think it's going to be good. It won't be too hot, uh, I don't think. You never know around here. Uh, but we're excited about the summer uh, and a lot of good things going on uh, for us in the summer. So with that in mind, let's pray together and ask the Lord to speak to us tonight. Father, we thank you for the ministry of the Word of God. May it bring forth much fruit in our life tonight, and we open ourselves up to hear what you have to say to us from the book of James. Lord, speak to us in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Well, you know, James is kin to Jesus. Anybody know who James was in his relationship with Jesus? He was his stepbrother or his little brother. Uh, uh, some uh, have called him... Uh, Jesus' bold little brother. It's really neat to, to when you connect with these people as people, and they were people, uh, and you begin to kind of trying to get into their world. It's pretty cool because when Jesus is walking on the earth, James, there's no 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 evidence that James believed or followed him. Uh, in fact, there's one place where it's, it says his family were trying to have an intervention with him. They thought he had lost his noodle uh, because, you know, hey, it's, they were a religious family. But uh, when your brother starts saying, I'm God, uh, you kind of would wonder about that. So, uh, but after he rose from the dead, everything changed. Let me just tell you, uh, after the resurrection, everything changes. Once you realize and once we embrace the resurrection power of Christ in our life, everything changes. And that's what happened with James. And very quickly, he became an integral part uh, of the local church, the new church there in Jerusalem, and, and became the pastor. He's Pastor James. Uh, and, he's a, and, and the more I read James and the more I kind of get into his head and into his world, uh, he's a great pastor. He, he, did pull, he pulls no punches. He's not out to impress. He's out to transform and get the transforming power of God in people's life. And, and as we get into tonight's message, uh, you're going to say, as one old friend of mine said, now that's stouter than nine acres of mowed garlic. And I don't know if you've ever been around mowed garlic, but it's stout. Uh, and so he's going to give us some stout things tonight 
uh, but it's all for our benefit. How many of you know sometimes we need, we need a good talking to? We just need to, let's, let's talk, let's get real here. Let's talk about what's really going on in our lives. And that's, that's the way it was with James. And you know that he wrote the, the book. Uh, it, most theologians think it was probably the, the first inspired letter. Uh, uh, it was one of the earliest uh, uh, writings of Scripture. Uh, and it was written, as you know, from the first chapter to the churches, to the Christians, believers that were scattered all over because of persecution. And these churches were growing. They were not, uh, you know, the persecution was for the purpose of evangelizing the world. If you remember Acts chapter 1, what did Jesus say? After the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem. There's where it was all born, right? Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Well, uh, persecution came to get them out of town. Uh, and and so, G, uh, so James writes the letter uh, to the persecuted church, those who had been scattered, who, who had become, uh, you know, uh, churches uh, like house churches and, and churches that were growing all over the places they went. The gospel was spreading. And so with that in mind, the theme, we can jump in tonight uh, and uh, talk about our journey through James uh, the theme of this book, uh, I've kind of melted it down to these thoughts. It's the importance of developing a faith that works. In other words, a lifestyle of Christianity, a faith that works. A faith that works for you and a faith that works through you. That's big here in James. In fact, we looked at, at, at James 2 where he talks about faith without works. Uh, and so understand this, that, that, that faith is not just to, to work for us. When, sometimes when people think about faith, they think, oh man, that's how I get my prayers answered, you know, by faith. You know, I, I pray the prayer of faith. Uh, and that's true. But faith doesn't, it's not just about you. It's about God working through you. Could I get a better amen? And so that's what James is writing this letter. He said, man, you gotta, you gotta have a lifestyle of living uh, that is, uh, there's evidence, your faith has evidence, and it's that God is working through you. And so that's the overall theme. Now last week, we talked about the dreaded tongue, the untamable tongue. And if you missed uh, last week, I would encourage you to go and download it or listen on iTunes or on our website and just get a little insight. James chapter 3, uh, the first 12 uh, verses uh, of that chapter and, uh, oh, man, there's a lot there, and we just kind of hit the highlights. But we got to the end, and we began to identify something about, about uh, uh, what James's is understanding is of those who can't tame the tongue. And he starts kind of defining, and I want to show you this right here in chapter 3 because it's going to build on what we're going to say tonight. Chapter 3, he says in verse 8, But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Now, we learned that we can't tame the tongue, but what did we close out with? What comes out of our mouth is in our heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And, and I think I said it this way. Uh, the tongue is the fruit. The heart is the root. And so you can't tame the You know, until you get a heart change, you can't fix the tongue. You can't fix, that's terrible. If I'm going to be on TV, I can't talk like that. You can't fix the tongue. <laughs> you can't say can't or ain't or any of those things. Uh, and so 
we realize, and then he begins to look in verse uh, nine. With it, we bless our God and Father, and with it, we curse men who have been made in the similitude or the kind of in similar to God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter for the same opening? And the obvious answer is no. Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear? In fact, let me stop. James answers a lot of questions. He asks a lot of questions that he doesn't want your answer because he knows the answer. He's just, it's a methodology of teaching. The Catholics call it catechism, a series of questions and answers. James, he says, can you do this? I'm going to give you the answer. Okay, I don't want your comment. I don't want your commentary. It's not discussion time. Can a, can a, can a, a, a bush yield good fruit and bad fruit? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Uh, thus, no spring yields both salt, water, and fresh. He said, no, it's, that's not the way it is. And so here's what he's saying about the tongue. And those who bless God with one, one word and curse man with the other, it's hypocritical. Everyone say hypocritical. And he is addressing the hypocritical heart. And he's getting to the root of the problem when it comes to our tongue. But then he continues on in the, uh, as we go through uh, the, the book and on into chapter 4, addressing the issues of hypocrisy in our hearts. Now, and so I wanna, I, we're going to do that tonight. And this is, again, it's not a shout-me-down message, uh, but uh, uh, James, conti- James continues this theme about hypocrisy and about how the church has to guard their hearts uh, against being hypocritical. All the way through James 13, uh, through James chapter 4, verse 10, uh, he addresses the issues of the heart. And so we're going to look at that tonight. Uh, and look in, let's just read verse 13 through 18, and then we'll jump into chapter 4. So he's just finished the thing about the, the, the tongue and about it being hypocritical for us to think we can bless God and curse man. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? There's another question. Okay. Let him show by good and conduct. And I, I guarantee if they were ha- he, glad this was a letter because somebody in church would have went, oh, oh, no, I shouldn't have done that. He didn't want your answer. He's, he's, he's addressing their heart. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. That's important to know. We won't break this down much here, but I want, to, I, want to, I want to show you something. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. The wisdom, this wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. Now, stop. What's the first question he asked? Who is wise and understanding among you? Now, he was addressing the fact that some people thought they were somebody. Okay? He was not really wanting to know who was the smartest in the class. He's addressing hypocrisy, okay? And now, what is hypocrisy? Hypocrisy, the word hypocrisy uh, is basically to wear a mask. I don't know, yeah, there it is. To wear, we learned that in Romans chapter 12 when, when, we, when we were studying Romans 12, when it says, let love be without hypocrisy, let it be without a mask. And we, we talked about that, and here he's, he's hitting that, and that's kind of the core uh, because uh, you know, when people wear a mask, they're disguising themselves or misrepresenting themselves. And so uh, he's addressing that. Now watch what he says. This, he's saying, listen, I think you think you're wise and understanding, 
But hey, listen, you got bitter envy, self-seeking in your heart. See, he's addressing the issues of the heart. Okay, do not lie and boast. Uh, do not boast and lie against the truth. In other words, this, I'm telling you the truth. You got heart issues here. Don't be lying about it. Don't be misrepresenting. Don't wear a mask here. Because look what he says. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. Now, he's addressing the church here. And he's, he's protecting the church from this hypocritical uh, 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 heart attitude that would, would undermine the effectiveness and impact of the church over the long run. Look in verse 7. But the wisdom that is from above. Okay, now here's he said, this is where we need to be addressing. Is first pure then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruit, fruits. And catch this, without what? And without what? Without hypocrisy. It can't be, you can't be a two-face. You can't be hypocritical. You can't say I'm wise and understanding and have bitter envy and self-seeking in your heart. And so we see that he's addressing uh, uh, this hypocritical mindset again, uh, you know, and, and just the definition of hypocrisy means to try to pretend you are something that you were not or to disguise who you really are. How many of you know, we all have a little bit of that in us. You know, how many of you just don't want to let everybody see everything that goes on in your world because they would go, you're a hypocrite. But how many of you know when you point the finger at somebody calling them a hypocrite, there's four more pointing right back at you. Because we all have these issues in our life where we say one thing and do another. Where, we're, where we represent ourselves in a way, but on the inside we know that is not really what's in my heart. we got a mask on. And the more we can take the mask off, the more uh, we can become like him. So that's why James is addressing it. And he shines the light. Uh, through these passages, James 3, he shines the light on the hypocrisy of a tongue that is not, that is out of control, that's setting hell fire, you know, setting fires in people's life through the fires of hell. And then, uh, you know, as I, I mentioned there in James 3, hey, you think you're smart? Listen, this is what's really in your heart. Uh, the wise person is somebody that is without hypocrisy. Okay. And then he goes on down to chapter 4. Uh, and uh, let's read this. We're going to look all the way through verse 10, and then we'll come back and take this apart. This will be the, the primary focus. Where do war... Here's, here's, these, here's these catechism questions again. I love it. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure, that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covenant and cannot obtain. You fight in war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Now, catch these warm, fuzzy words right here in verse 4 to the churches that were growing and expanding. Adulterers and adulteresses, exclamation point. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Now you're getting... This hypocrisy theme again? Are you seeing it? If you're seeing it, shake your head. I got, I'm seeing this. This is what he's addressing here. Okay? Uh, friendship with the world is enmity with God. Don't you know that, he says? Wherever, uh, whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself the enemy of God. Or do you think that the Scripture says in vain, the Spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? 
But he gives more grace. Now, here's where he lets up on us a little bit. And we'll talk about this. But he gives more grace. Somebody say, thank you, Jesus. In fact, that word, more grace, means larger. In other words, he's saying, all this hypocrisy, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but all this hypocrisy that you're battling with, with the tongue, with who you think you are but you're not, okay, with all these things you want and can't have because you've got fleshly, sensual, worldly mindset, hey, he gives more grace. That word is larger and bigger. In other words, the grace of God is larger and bigger and more powerful and impacting and has the capacity to help us deal with these hypocritical areas of our heart. And everybody said, amen. We'll look at that. So let's go on. He said, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Then he says, therefore, submit to God, resist the devil. Now, as we'll go back and look, he's given us methodology here, okay, Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Here's what I think, and I mentioned this a little earlier. Here's what I think was going on in the churches. Man, everybody's happy-go-lucky, and they were letting down their guard, and the world was coming in, and they just, ha, 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 you know, let's eat, drink, be merry, the blessings of the Lord. Have you ever heard that before? Woo, just bless me and give, you know, it's all about me and my stuff and all about what I want. And, and Pastor James, writes a scathing letter, but it's not without grace, okay? He's getting to the root of the issue. He's getting to the heart of the matter. Uh, and he says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. And guess what? He will lift you up. Now, let's break it down a little bit. Let's look at this. Uh, and uh, let's, uh, let's just kind of see it a little better. Uh, he exposes, and that's what he's trying to do. He's shining the light. Uh, on the hypocrisy of their life, especially James chapter 4, the first six verses. Now, he's hard-nosed here. He says, you covet and you cannot obtain. You have desires uh, that are at war in your members. Uh, man, you, you got fight, you're fighting among yourselves. And, uh, and he, he basically calls them adulter, adulterers and adulteresses. Now, does anybody need a definition of that? People who are unfaithful. And how many of you know adulterers and adulteresses, by and large, wear masks? With Hey, let me just throw it out. When, when they're with the other woman or the other man, they got on a mask, don't they? Because they're not rightly representing themselves. And when they're with their spouse, who they're being unfaithful with, they wear a mask, right? Because, hey, they're being hypocritical. Correct? In fact, uh, he's, what he's saying here. He said, listen, it's hypocritical of you to draw from two wells. You want to draw from your relationship with me or relationship with God. Pardon me. You want to draw from your relationship with God, but you're wanting to draw from a relationship with the world. You can't draw water from the two wells. It's almost go back to the the spring. You can't get salt and fresh out of the same spring. Now, interesting little insight here. In fact, uh, we mentioned the fact that that uh, James seems to have a lot of proverb in it. Okay, there's a lot of proverb 
in James. Let me show you a, a proverb in Proverbs chapter 5. And, and I don't know that he's alluding to this because there's no evidence. Uh, but he's, he's saying you're adulterers and adulteresses if you think you can have a right relationship with God and also have a good relationship with the world and love the world. Look at Proverbs chapter 5, verse 15. Drink water from your own cistern and running water from your own well. Should your fountain be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets. Now, let me just say, he's not talking about your water well. He's talking about your wife or your husband. Look what he says. Let them be only your own and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth. As a, de- as a loving deer and a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times. Oh my gosh, I said breast in church. And also be enraptured with her love. What's he saying? You can't draw water from two wells. He said that's adultery. And so we go back to James. He said, you're trying to draw water from two wells. You're being adulterers and adulteresses. If you think you can be the friend of of God and the friend of the world. Wake up. That's hypocritical. You got on a mask. And when you come before God, you got on a mask, a hypocritical mask, because you're just coming to, oh, I love you, Jesus. I want to worship you, Jesus. And you've been adulterating with the world. And that's, that's stouter than what? What's that stouter than? It's stout, brother. You can't miss that. And man, I'm glad he gets off it in a hurry because, uh, you know, that's, that's tough as nails. So, so he starts addressing that. And then he begins to talk about the consequences uh, of this uh, hypocr- hypocrisy. And, and he, he weaves it in through there. Verse 1 reveals the first one, conflict with others. Now, what's he say in verse 1? What do wars and fights come from? Where do wars and fights come from among you? Now, undoubtedly, the church was having battles, internal battles with one another. Nothing new under the sun, okay? And let me just say, conflict with others is a, is a if I can say it, the inbred consequence of a hypocritical heart. And if you're always at odds with others, there's probably a mask involved somewhere in your life. Something you're trying to cover. You know, I've learned that the people who bark the loudest and deny the hardest are probably the most guilty. I didn't do that. Wait a minute. And where does that come from? Conflict with others? comes from a hypocrisy in our heart. He says, where does this come from? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure, that war in your members? Uh, and, and he's addressing the hypocrisy. So the consequences of a hypocritical heart is conflict in your life. Conflict with others, and then, hey, uh, conflict with yourself. He said, there's a war raging on the inside of you. And until we take off the mask and we get honest with God and hey, and he's, hey, we're going to talk about grace here in a minute. Somebody say, thank you, Jesus. Okay. There's, you're going to always have a conflict with yourself. You know what I'm learning to do? I'm 58 years old. Lord help me. I should have some of these things down, but I, I certainly, uh, I, you know what I'm learning to do? Be more honest with God. 
about who I am and who I'm not. And if I have a flaw and a crack, oh, there it is. I know that doesn't please you. Uh, I don't, First John 1, 9 it. I confess my sins, faith, because forgiveness, sin, cleanse all right. And just keep on living the way I'm living. That's, what does Romans say? God forbid. But the consequences of, of this hypocrisy of heart, of drawing water from the two wells, it's going to create conflict with others, with yourself. And here's the biggie, conflict with God. Because he says, if you want to be the friend of the world, friendship with the world is enmity, pardon me, enmity with God. Whoo! Whoever wants to be the friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Now, you need to notice that. God didn't make you an enemy of God, of him. He didn't go, you're now my enemy. He set up a scenario that says, if you go this way, you have purposefully made yourself an adversary of God. Whoo! Everybody go, whoo! And that's stout. And so, the consequences is conflict with others, which certainly in the church, that's hugely important. Conflict within ourselves. He says, you have desires and pleasures that are warring in your members. You lust and do not have because you Ask amiss that you may spend it on your own pleasure. Inter- internal conflict because there's hypocrisy in our life. Now, the core of the hypocritical heart. What's the core? He gets to the core in verse 6 when he says this, but he, who ge- he, but he gives more grace. Everybody say more grace. Therefore he says, okay, this is what he says. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He resists the proud. Now, the word resist, we'll learn it again in a moment. It means to stand against and forcefully oppose. Okay? And so we find that pride is the core of hypocrisy. From pride comes the divided heart, the hypocritical heart. The, the mindset of drawing from two wells. I hesitate to use this illustration because it makes me sound critiquing. But it's obvious. I've seen it so many, a number of times even with close friends. They rise to a level of success ministerially. And they've never, and, and I say this with fear and trembling because there's areas of all of our hearts, mine included, that you have to, you can't, you can't be prideful. You can't say, I got this one licked. I mean, if you know the day you think you got it licked, it'll slap you upside the head. So I, 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 I'm, I'm being careful here. But here's what I have seen. They rise to a place of success, that what we would determine success. And pride enters their hearts. And what they would never do before on their way they do after they get there. I've seen pastors of five and 10,000 member church just go goofy. On Sunday morning, preach like a man from another world. People get saved. Now, how hypocritical is this? Sunday morning, anointing on their life. How many of you know God's gifts are without reproach? 
anointing on their life, people getting saved, being changed by the word of God. And on Friday night, they were down in the seedy part of town hanging out with another woman. Now, that's hypocritical. Now, hey, listen, I'm, just, I'm, not pointing, I'm, I'm not pointing fingers, but what I am saying is, and what happened? Pride rose up, and, they, and then all of a sudden, hypocrisy sets in because they think, hey, God loves me. How could he be upset with me when on Sunday morning, 10 people got born again, and the Holy Spirit was on, and, and I sensed his anointing in my life? I must be special. I'm telling you, that sounds ludicrous to us. But I see it all the time, and we all battle it on some level. So, so uh, he, God says uh, he resists that. He forcefully opposes that. And where did it come from? Pride in our life. Okay? And so he says, God says he resists the proud, but he gives grace. Now, how many of you know you can't earn grace? It's his unmerited favor. I love this, the phrase. He gives grace. Who does he give grace to? The humble. Everybody say he gives grace to the humble. Now, in other words, if you can get to the place where you're humble, you're going to tap into that grace that got you. Let's just say, let's just say a, a guy was humble and then he was lifted up in pride. Hey, what God says, hey, if you get back to humble, you'll get back to my great grace in your life. Okay? And that where it's much bigger and more powerful. And so uh, he, 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 he starts giving the solution, okay? Uh, and, and in fact, you know, he resists this. Uh, in fact, uh, uh, Proverbs chapter 6, six things, yea, seven the Lord hates. You know the first one? A proud look. That's the top of his list. He, did, he doesn't say he hates those who have a proud look. He hates the proud look. Now, let's think about that proud look just a second. What does, what's, the, what's the root meaning of, of hypocrisy? To wear a mask. You know what God hates? God, those who put on a mask and give the look of arrogance in their life. He hates that. Now, let's follow the root of pride just a, a minute. You know the first original sin. Who committed the first original sin? Pardon me? Eve? Anybody? Cain and Abel? Anybody else want to guess? Lucifer did. Thank you, Jeremy, in the back. What did Lucifer do? Lucifer, oh, if we had time, we'd talk about Lucifer. Some people think he was the head worship leader in church. Uh, pardon me, in heaven. Uh, his very body had instruments built within it. Uh, it's pretty cool. And he was one fine angel. But what did he do? He was lifted up in pride. And he said, I'm going to make myself like God. And he was cast down. And what was the, what was the, main, what, what was the main tool he used on Eve? He said, hey, God said you can't eat of this. Because he knows if you do, you'll be like him. He's, and, and you know what he appealed to Eve's sin nature? Pride. I can be like him. I can be just that's hey, that's out of Lucifer's playbook in heaven. He, he knew it didn't work. He already tried it and it failed, but he tried it on her and it worked. Oh, I'll be lifted up and be just like God. He fell like lightning. He did. He, his fall was great, was his fall. 
And so that's the core of this hypocrisy that James, and he's addressing it. But now I'm telling you, uh, he's going he's gonna to give us the cure. How many of you appreciate the cure? Okay, here's the cure. The cure for a hypocritical heart. We've already identified it. It's the great grace or the, the more grace, the larger grace, that, that, that grace that just goes beyond. Hey, think about this. For by grace you are saved through faith. That's what the Bible says in a, a, a what does it say? Ephesians. For by grace you're saved through faith, and that's not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. So the reality is, we can't fix our hypocritical heart either. Who can tame the tongue? No man can tame the tongue. Oh, well, now we're down to the heart. Who can tame the heart? You can't tame the heart. It's by his grace. Who? Thank you, Jesus. Are you with me? He says he gives more grace. And then he, and so, uh, he said he gives grace to the humble, those who are lowly, you know, and, and here's Pastor Sam's definition, uh, of, of grace. It's just, it's just what I've developed over the years. It's the revelation of who we are in the light of who he is. The revelation of who we are in the light of who he is. And that verse 10 where he says, down in verse 10, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he'll lift you up. How many of you know that humble yourselves requires us to initiate the help and the grace that God has for us. Let me just tell you, you don't want God to humble you. Now, He can, and He may love you enough to do that. In fact, uh, last, in the last verses of Ecclesiastes, it says our sins will find us out, I don't know, or something like that. I, I, I may be shooting that into pieces, but, uh, you know, if, if we don't come clean... He loves us enough to humiliate us and humble us. And I would just say it's better to humble yourselves than to be humbled by God. Because he will for his sake and for your ultimate benefit. Uh, so I've developed this definition over time. The revelation of who we are in the light of who he is. When you know who he is, man, it'll get you in your place. You'll realize, man... I, without his mercy and grace, I'm, I'm a mess. And so, so he says, humble yourself. In other words, you've got you to gotta activate some things in your life in order to find yourself at a place of humility before God so he can then lift you up. Okay? Most people just want God to get them out of a jam. No, you've got to, oh, God, I need you to come fix this. You've you got issues in your life. Come, you know, somebody come slap me on the head and let me fall down under the power or whatever or something and come up chains. Now, that might happen, but when it comes to hypocrisy, that's usually a, a, a decision to, to humble yourself and become uh, uh, submitted and under the governance of God Almighty in our lives. Amen? So, with that in mind, let me give you the, some of the, these cure statements real quick. They're from verse 7, 8, and 9, and even 10. The first one is responding rightly in the face of our hypocrisy, which we all battle with on some level. The first one is submit. Oh, that's a big word. But it says, therefore. And when you see a therefore there, what do you do? 
Look back and see what the therefore is there for. Uh, because, you, because you've been drawing from two wells and been hypocritical in your heart and you've let pride enter in. Now, when pride enters in, just like Lucifer and just like Eve uh, and humanity, we take the place of God in our lives. We take charge of our hearts when we're not supposed to take charge of our heart. And humility begins with submission. Therefore, submit to God. Now, to put yourself under the governance of and in obedience to. Uh, uh, submit yourself, therefore, to God. Let me show you this in First Peter. Just take a right. And, and let me just say, Peter and James, they were both leaders in the first century church. Uh, though they came from different towns, uh, James came undoubtedly probably from Nazareth where Jesus came from unless they moved before he was born. And Peter came from, uh, uh, oh, I had it in my head. Um, I forgot. Uh, they're different towns. He's over by the Sea of Galilee. It's, uh, I can't remember. I'll get it in a minute. Uh, but anyway, they came from different towns, but they joined together in, in Jerusalem with the birth of the church, and they were cut from the same cloth. They both hung around Jesus uh, Paul, Peter, uh, James prior to the resurrection primarily James and Peter both uh, were with Jesus in his 45 days of kingdom uh, uh, expansion uh, seminar before he went back to the to heaven there in Acts chapter 1 and they're kind of cut from the same cloth and they have the same heart and they both uh, undoubtedly had had pride issues in their life we know Peter did for sure because he said I'll never deny you Lord I'll never do it. And he went out and wept bitterly. But look, look what he says in 1 Peter 5, 5. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to the elders. There's that word. Yes, all of you be submitted to one another and be clothed with humility. God resist, here it is. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Man, they've been reading, hadn't they? They cut from the same cloth. Therefore, humble yourselves. There's the same thing. It's not something you wait in a prayer line to do. It's something you start activating in your life. Therefore, humble yourselves, pardon me, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Man, did he read James' letter and say, man, I'm writing some of that down. That was good. I think they got it from Jesus. He goes on to say, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith. So we see him. He's addressing this same issue that James addresses. Hey, if you're going to get off your high horse, if you're going to, if you're going to take off your hypocritical mask, or if we're going to take off our hypocritical mask, it begins with this, oh, therefore, oh, this is not deep, this is not wide, submit yourself to God. Yield yourself to His governance in your life. Submit yourself to God. And then you, the next one is resist the devil. That word resist means to stand against and forcefully oppose. And, and what did it say God was doing with those who are hypocritical? He resists the proud. Same word. And what James says, hey, you got to realize this. You submit to God and you start resisting the devil who has led you down this road. And you, you took the bait, just like Eve took the bait. You got to resist him. You got to stand fast against him and forcefully oppose him. Now, go back to Peter. Man, they're, it's like they're writing out of the same 
uh, Holy Ghost is speaking the same thing to both of them. Look what he says. Be sober. Verse 8 of chapter 5. Be sober. Be vigilant. Your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. What do you do? Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brothers in the world. Everyone say submit. Everyone say resist. Now, this is how we respond rightly. This is how we humble ourselves before God. Number three, what does James say? And again, I love the simplicity of this man. Draw near to God. And and guess what he'll do? If you respond here, he'll respond to you. I think of the I think of the the, the prodigal son when he defined he said I'm going to draw near to my family again go I'm going home. What was what was the father doing? He's sitting on the front porch waiting, and he didn't have his ugly stick. He ran to his son and embraced him, and it's the same picture. You draw near to him, he'll draw near to you. Okay, he responds to our response. That's a principle. What, what's, the, what's the scripture say? Call unto me and I will answer. He always responds to our response to him. He's never going to, you call unto him, he's not going to thumb his nose at you. You call out to him and you cry out, draw near to him. In fact, that word draw means to approach and to be at hand. It's a little more than just getting close. You draw near, but then, uh, uh, you ever heard anybody say, well, if you need me, I'll be on hand. That's kind of what the, you draw near to him because you've already submitted. You draw near to him. You're coming up close. And I'll be here. I, I'll be on hand at your beck and call. I'll, and, and you do that, he draws near to us, and he's on our beck and call. That's a marvelous principle of life. He always responds to our response to him. Okay? Everyone say Submit. Resist. Everyone say draw. And then number four, cleanse. Now, now here, here, here's what we need to understand because he says, he says in verse 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to, to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. In other words, uh, we've now identified the problem and you know you got an issue. It's pride. And you got to get it out. Now, uh, how many of you know he dealt with our sin on Calvary's cross, right? He covered us. But how many of you know the process of becoming like Christ requires us to appropriate the provision of cleansing and forgiveness in our life? And some people look at the flaws of their life and say, well, Jesus didn't take it away. I don't know. I guess I was born this way. Mama was that way and brother was that way. And I got these issues in our life and, you know, I can't help it. We're just, we're just normal. Everybody's doing it. And, uh, no, 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 no. No, we've addressed the issue. We know what the problem is. Now, you, you get it out of there. Cleanse your hands. Purify your hearts. You're double-minded. We know what you got. Now, you're double-minded. You're, you're two-faced. You think this way on Friday night and that way on Sunday morning? It's hypocrisy. And so we've got to clean it up. 
You see, righteous living is a partnership with what God has done for us on Calvary's cross. Hey, if you've got time, read Romans 5 and 6. You'll see the partnership. Romans 5, you're, you're justified by faith, right? Romans 5, 1, is that what it says? We're justified by faith. But then Romans 6, he says, now, he, you, you, were, you were crucified with Christ. I'll just kind of give you the highlights of these two. You're crucified with Christ, uh, you know, and so he's saying all the things that you need to know and understand. And then he says, therefore, I love the living Bible. I don't even have one anymore. The Living Bible, I can't remember what verse it is in Romans 6. Therefore, don't let sin reign in your puny body any longer. In other words, because of what he has done, you can now appropriate what the, the, the truths of God in your life, and they will work for you. So don't let sin, you were by nature a sinner. You couldn't help it. Sin was your master and Lord, but now Jesus took care of that on the cross, and you don't have to let sin reign in your puny body any longer. Are you with me? Say amen. And so it's the cleansing and the purification of our life. And now, interestingly enough, this is the last part where we would think would be the first part. He says, lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Now, think about the altar call that we would think of. God convicts someone and they get to weeping and crying and walk the aisle. They get under conviction, which is good and right and holy. But now, we're not talking about people being born again. We're talking about people who have, hey, they, hey, they got convicted and walked the aisle. And now they've got a little slap happy and a little self-serving in their life and become hypocritical. And, and, uh, and so the process, you get right down to it. The end, hey, you submit, you resist, you draw near to God and you cleanse your life. And you, hey, and that word lament means to grieve, weep, sob, or wail aloud. In other words, get the, get the heart of God. How many of you know God, God hates sin? He doesn't hate the sinner. And we've got to get to the place in our life, if we want to be humble, where we realize we have broken the heart of God and we grieve over what we've done to Him. Most people grieve over what they've done to themselves, but not what they've done to Him. What did Peter do after he got busted? The Bible says he went out, and, and, and if you get the deep, he went out and he wept bitterly. It's the same thing here. He, it's the, it, from the innermost being of his body, he wept and he wailed and he moaned. Now, I, you can't stir this up. You can't just, okay, now it's okay, I've done this, I've done this, and okay, now I've got to start. No, it's when your heart, because you have now submitted yourself to God, and you are standing your ground, and you are drawing near. And let me tell you something, the more you draw near to Him, the more clear your old heart becomes and 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 he he suggests here hey not suggests we need to come to the place where we pour ourselves out to God and I and and I don't I don't know what I can read into that other than we got a 
We got to get it out. Sometimes that's the only way it comes out. It's where you just pour it out to God. You lament, grieve, weep, sob, wail. That's what Peter did. And the last verse in chapter, in chapter or, or in verse 10 that we want to look at. If you do that, if you humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. Hey, let me just say this. When you get in his sight, it's impossible to wear a mask. Can you imagine? Hey, can, can we use our divine imagination? We put on our mask, come up to Jesus. What's going on, Jesus? Holy, I'm holy. I'm good. How, how ludicrous is this? It's so ludicrous. But all of us do it every once in a while on Sunday morning. Sometimes the preacher does. How, how ludicrous. And God's looking up there going, they look so stupid in that mask. How ludicrous. I know who they are. They know who they are. Who are they trying to fool? But then he says, if you'll just do this, if you'll submit, resist, draw, cleanse, and lament, and humble yourself, I'll come and lift you up. Now, I get this picture. I get this picture of us walking, you know, walking through this process. And I, I see it with Jesus and Peter. He went out lamenting and mourning. Wailing in the, I could just hear him in the night. I, I'm telling you, in a moment he realized the frailty of his life and how, how ludicrous it was for him to think that what Jesus told him he would do, he wouldn't do. And there he is, broken down, busted, and disgusted in John 21. And Jesus, the resurrected Christ, walks into his life and lovingly, caringly, because he was a broken, humble man. Peter, do you love me? Yeah, but I, I'm, I'm... Hey, before the crucifixion, I'll never leave you. Who do you... Th- how dare you ask me that question? You know I love you. Not this time. Do you love me? Mm. He asked him three times. Peter never popped off one time. He basically said this. I think I love you on a brotherly level, but I don't think I can love you that I love you the way I know I need to love you. To never deny you. That's basically what he said. You know what Jesus did? Picked him up. Feed my sheep. And just a few short weeks later, he's preaching Pentecost. 
whoo. God lifted him up. And we know from history that Peter never denied the Lord again. And if I'm, if I'm correct in my history, he was crucified, martyred. And I think this was Peter. He said, you crucify me upside down because there is no way I want to be crucified like my Lord. Wow. God lifted him up. That's what he'll do with us. Isn't that the most awesome thing? And old Pastor James, he's tough as nails. But then he slips in in three verses, four verses, and gives us the secret to our hearts. And man, it's not, it's not hard to grab. Hey, submit to God, resist the devil, draw near to God, cleanse yourself. Hey, and lament. Humble you, that's what it takes to humble yourself, and he'll lift you up. What a deal. Amen. I done convicted myself with my preaching. Lord, help us all. Let's stand together.